we're uh, into the Word uh, today. We're going to be in 1 John uh, 2, verse 18, and I've entitled the sermon today, Dear Children of God, and uh, like the address of a letter, you can uh, uh, view that, and that is what we're looking at, and we're looking at the letter of 1 John, and this is now our third time together in recent weeks journeying through uh, this letter from the Apostle John, and today we'll pick up in uh, chapter 2, verse 18, and we're going to get into chapter 3 as well. But first, just we're going to retrace our steps of where we've been, all right, just quickly. Chapter 1 opened with John pointing to Jesus Christ as a central figure uh, in the goal of making our joy complete with God the Father, uh, through Jesus, and one and with one another, that complete joy and again, I've entitled this uh, message today, Dear Children of God, with a hope to draw attention to this fellowship of the family, if you would. And it's truly uh, what it is. It's a big part of the heart of this letter uh, from John. And it is, again, fellowship with God, but also fellowship with one another. And it's all together in Christ Jesus. We have learned if we are ever to find pure fellowship with God, and with one another, it can only come by the way made through a deep and growing relationship with the authentic Jesus. And that's a big part of also what John was doing in combating the false teachings of the day, uh, just in warning, but primarily encouragement uh, for the church to remain in what they knew, right? The authentic Jesus. We've seen uh, a, a constant stream of contrasts right? between light and dark, truth and lies, uh, love and hatred, given both warning and encouragement to his beloved church. And as we ventured into chapter two, we were reminded of our position as sinners who sin in need of forgiveness. That's our position, even, even today, even when we're saved, right? As, as children of God, uh, we're sinners who sin in need of forgiveness. Uh, but even challenging ourselves with how we should view and even deal with sin in our lives, right? First John 1 John 1.9, the confession of our sins and the forgiveness that was found in the atoning sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ, the righteous one, right? We ended last week with verses 15 through 17, highlighting the battle between love for this world contrasted with doing the will of God, which it says would last forever, all right, so today, we're going to continue to hear the rhythm of contrast in this letter concerning the way of the righteous versus the way of the world, right? and with some stark lines drawn between the children of God and the children of the devil. <laughs> That's a pretty stark uh, statement we're going to hear today. And so let's just pray one more time, pray for his word, Lord God, as we look into it. Lord God, we do just, uh, as we look into your word today, uh, we trust that you have something to uh, teach us, something to uh, work, not just teach us, but to work into our lives, Lord God, that it would flow out uh, from uh, just the enabling of, the conviction of, uh, the empowering of, and the guiding and teaching of your Holy Spirit, uh, Lord God, that we can see uh, this word, which is alive uh, and living and active, Lord God, to do its work, to have its way uh, in us today. And uh, and not just, you know, a dusty letter from an age past, but for today, Lord God, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. 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 So it opens with, in verse 18, children, it is the last hour. <laughs> Pretty ominous, huh? And as you have heard that Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have come. 
right? That opening really does set a certain tone, doesn't it? Right? The last hour, the last day. I want to quickly just point us to, uh, there's a lot in that statement, but it's concerning the, the, the end of the ages, right, where Jesus Christ is going to come back, the second coming of Jesus Christ, uh, the entering uh, in, you know, uh, and then, you know, the rapture of the church taking place and uh, the seven uh, years of tribulation that's going to come upon the earth during that time, uh, then culminating in, again, the return of Jesus and the millennial rule and all those things. But I want to point us to uh, Pastor Carl's recent teachings in the book of Daniel. He just kind of concluded that a handful of weeks ago and where he addresses this, right? The 70th week of Daniel talked about the last day and the last hour. So we're not going into a big... uh, a teaching or treatise on that, that this morning, but let's understand that that's the time he's pointing to. And if you want to be aware of those times, and we should either listen for the first time or go back and review Pastor Carl's recent Daniel teachings, and uh, I think you'll be well informed and actually excited, uh, you know, of the times that are coming, right? Because uh, indeed, uh, things are culminating to an end, right? The last hour is here it was true in John's day, and it can't be anything but more true. It's not actually more true, but right, it's more ever-present because <laughs> time has passed, right? A few centuries, uh, a millennia even, have passed uh, since this letter was written, uh, but it's true. The last, it is the last hour. And so here, John declares that the Antichrist is coming, and many Antichrists have already come through the ages until present day, with their mission is to undermine the gospel message and direct their rage and open hostility upon Jesus Christ and his followers. <laughs> you know, how do we see that in our day here? You can see that, right? That, you know, the name of Jesus really isn't welcomed, <laughs> right, in many uh, uh, spheres of, of influence, right? Social influences and professional uh, and, and world systems that we talked about last week uh, as well. But, uh, you know, oddly, though, it can bring us some comfort of sorts to know that this all kicked off a few thousand years ago, and yet Jesus Christ is still in control, right? And, you know, even though he's not tolerated, his message isn't tolerated, uh, and neither are we as his followers uh, at times, but yet we can know and uh, just take comfort in the fact that Jesus Christ is, is, is still sovereign, he's still Lord, and he is coming again, but it says this in relation to the, the direct time of the Apostle John writing this letter. continues, it says, By this we know that it is the last hour. Well, how? They went out from us, but did not belong to us. For if they had belonged to us, they would have remained with us. However, they went out so that it might be made clear that none of them belonged to us. Now, I looked at this, and <laughs> the Apostle John here is using a technique that I've dubbed. I don't know how original it is, but it's kind of like a circular, you know, contrasting logic. You know, just he, he's sort of repetitive in nature, and he's sort of saying the same thing, but he says it kind of forwards and backwards, and I think that's for a reason. You know, it's, he wants us to really get it, to get this simple fact you know, at verse 19, again, just thinking of that, of how John is wrapping this up as truth, right? He's just simply stating it. Again, writing this letter to the church, his beloved church, but he's also addressing the, the false teachings and things that are happening. I'm going to say indirectly, but not too indirectly, really. <laughs> he's being pretty direct about it uh, through this letter. But it says this, right? They went out from us, but they did not belong to us. For if they had belonged to us, they would have remained with us. 
However, they went out so that it might be made clear that none of them belong to us, right? And now remember, that's in the context of saying we, this is how we know it's the last hour, right? Because, uh, you know, the, the message is the same, right? That constant coming against, trying to undermine the gospel message, trying to uh, open hostility and persecution against not only Jesus, but his followers as well. And that continues to this day. Now, we need to know that the us here refers to the apostles, right? It says, when they went out from us. He's talking about the apostles themselves, right? And by direct implication, the apostolic doctrine of the early church. This, think back to chapter one, right? Concerning our, uh, our looking at the authentic Jesus. This was a literal separating one from another, the false teachers from the apostles, right? They departed out of the, the early church and departing from the core doctrine and proper conduct that should, be coming, that should be becoming of a Christian. Yet they were still claiming their roots were in the early apostolic church. And so John was very eager to deny any connection with these false teachers, right? And, and to limit their influence there within the church. All right, so nevertheless, right, we have this shot kind of taken at the false teachers. Again, it's for our instruction as well. Yet this letter is written to believers, and so John quickly redirects to address the beloved church gathered with the antidote for this here. It says, but you have an anointing from the Holy One, and all of you know the truth. I think it was uh, one of the, the uh, two, maybe last week, where we talked about how do, you, how do you kind of know that you're in fellowship with God? Well, you know, to obey his commands, to know his word and, uh, and to use it and understand, and then also to abide and remain in him, kind of those three uh, ways. But it says here simply, but you have an anointing from the Holy One and all of you know the truth. See, this anointing refers to the Holy Spirit and he is from the Holy One, the Lord Jesus Christ. See, when a person is saved, he receives the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. I think, you know, first of all, through uh, the Holy Spirit has many functions, but one of them is conviction of sin, even drawing us to God. And then once we're uh, saved, right, he gives his guarantor seal over our salvation. What a wonderful thing. And he doesn't just leave us there because he knows that we're still in this world with his, his struggles and tribulations and trials and temptations, right? But he empowers us to do the power of the Holy Spirit, our pastor dubs it very well, the power to do. And to do what? To do what we know <laughs> what we're supposed to do, to live righteously, to do what we can't do in our own power. But he also guides us and teaches us. I mean, the Holy Spirit is this incredible gift that I couldn't over, overdo or overstate this morning, but I hope I do uh, an adequate job of just presenting that to us. And so as he does guide and enable the believers in many ways, among other things he does, in reference here, is he helps us to discern between truth and error, true and false teachings, right? Uh, Acts 4.13 says this concerning the boldness of the disciples. When they observed the boldness of Peter and John, they realized that they were uneducated and untrained men, fishermen, right? They were amazed and recognized that they had been with Jesus. <laughs> that was the difference. I only take one, I don't, uh, I gotta be careful how I say this, I don't take issue with the word of God, but they thought, in a, you know, wrongly so, that they had been with Jesus. No, Jesus was still with them. <laughs> and that's the major point there. But they just thought, hey, these men had been with Jesus. There's something about them. May it be said of us. Verse 21, it says this, I have not written to you because you don't know the truth, 
but because you do know it and because no lie comes from the truth. Again, John's kind of saying this thing forward and backwards. He's not writing it to you, you know, because you don't know the truth. He's just, he's saying it because you do know it. And I'm just reminding you of it. And no lie comes from the truth. John is highlighting the importance of being, again, in the word of God, right? Knowing his word. How are we going to obey his commands unless we know his word? Right? And how are we going to continually to know his word unless we're abiding and remaining uh, in him? Uh, it's really not a, it, I hate, it's not a formula, but it's, a, it's just a common sense way of entering in and uh, growing in fellowship uh, with God. And John's important, uh, in highlighting the importance of the word of God in that uh, part. Right? To know the truth in order to test and approve, again, what is right. And then to abide, remain in order to accept or reject what is being taught based upon the truth that you have already received. And that's a common refrain in the letter of First John here. He's just saying, hey, what you already have, this isn't new, right? Because the false teachers, part of what their thing was, and we're not majoring in that. We talked about that a lot the, the first uh, in the opening chapter. But their thing was just, we have something new. We have something different. We can add on to you know, your, your experience here uh, in Jesus. And over and over, John is saying, no, stick to what you already have, that which you already know, right? In John 17, 17, this is Jesus' own prayer for his disciples and uh, thus by for us today as well, where he prayed to the Father, sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. That's from Jesus. <laughs> and we can take that uh, to the bank uh, for sure. And it goes on here, right? It talks about uh, of, of writing you the truth and the need for it. Then verse 22, he says, who is the liar if not the one who denies that Jesus is the Christ? <laughs> right? It's a form of a question, but we know it's a rhetorical question. You know, he's saying here, this is the liar. If anyone is a liar at all, it's certainly anyone who denies that Jesus is the Christ. Right? Denier, liar, pants on fire or something like that. Right? You know, but John goes even further. And he continues in verse 22. This one is the Antichrist, the one who denies the Father and the Son. No one denies the Son has the Father, and he who confesses the Son has the Father as well. Again, see that circular kind of contrasting uh, thing there, kind of just circling it up and wrapping it up, letting us know for sure, right? No one who denies the Son has the Father, and he who confesses the Son has the Father as well. It works both ways. So any claim that they, meaning the false teachers, would, have, uh, would make of having their father's approval was false. Their ministry did not have the father's approval because they denied who Jesus was. See, one cannot have the approval of the father without the fellowship that's found in the son, right? To reject one is to reject the other and consequently lose both. But the call is there to remain in verse 24, right? What you have heard from the beginning is to remain in you. And what you have heard from the beginning remains in you, then you will remain in the Son and in the Father. So this idea of remaining, again, right, to abide is a, is a great word. Actually, I think a better word, uh, but we understand remain as well. That word to abide means to, to uh, make yourself at home with. You know, to be in fellowship and abiding with Jesus, with God, with, you know, at home uh, in your heart, uh, so to speak. All right, so John here is given this positive proclamation, you know, about what you have heard from the beginning, right? But this call is also one of resistance, right? To reject 
Conversely, the lies of these antichrists, which he said was already among them and remain today, and let the truth that they heard from the beginning to remain or abide in their hearts, in our hearts, right? To abide as, as in a home, right? We can uh, recall actually the poem, I would call it, that interlude uh, from last week in chapter two. If you just glance back in your Bible, you can see it there in verses 12 through 14, right? Where we see twice repeated the phrase, I have written to you fathers because you have come to know the one who is from the beginning, I've written to you, fathers, because you have come to know the one who is from the beginning. It's just a simple truth that John wants to direct his people back to. Again, that idea of what you already have. <laughs> Don't be chasing after. Don't be led astray by, right? That was uh, uh, also uh, upcoming here, actually, in the verse directly of why, what John is warning against here. Now, I've had the expression, I've actually shared it before, uh, but, you know, if it's new, it's not true. And if it's true, it's not new or some variation of it. Now, I had that written in my Bible from years ago uh, from a, a Bible teaching by Pastor Greg Laurie. And uh, so I always attribute it to him. You know, Greg Laurie is a good uh, preacher of the word. And so uh, that just always stuck to me. One of my very first, uh, I think, Calvary Chapel conferences that I ever went to uh, many, many years ago now. But uh, yeah, so, but then I only defined it and finally read it uh, this week in a commentary attributed to Dr. Henry Ironside. <laughs> so I guess I'll give credit to both, but uh, it, it's so true. So it turns out Greg steals stuff as well. So I feel, I feel okay about it uh, myself now. But just that, that, it's that simple truth, right? If it's new, it's not, you know, it's not true because God has, has made his truth known. And if it's true, it's just, it's not new. It might be new to you. It could be a revelation, but we need to understand that it sticks with something uh, a little more eternal uh, than just whims or, or, or changes of the, you know, the tide. Enough on that, right? But understanding that this is essential to guarding our faith, right? To remain in him, what we have already have received, Right? bringing us to the point of receiving the great gift that springs forth from that faith. Because it continues in verse 25. And what is this? It says, and this is the promise that he himself made us. What is that promise? Eternal life. And I love it. Even, you know, so as, as John can be very wordy in some other areas, right? And again, I kind of explained why that is and why that's helpful, at least for me. But here, he just doesn't mix it up at all, does he? And this is the promise, that he himself made to you eternal life. <laughs> Two words, right? So when we accept the Lord Jesus, we receive eternal life. Actually, we receive his own life, right? Substituted for ours and put into uh, our, our lives, being brought into pure fellowship with God the Father here and now, being sanctified day by day, Growing through the years, there's no stop in the Christian growth, right? We need to continue and remain in him. We have need for that, right? We haven't arrived yet, but yet we have this promise of one day to be ushered into his very presence, face-to-face -face with Jesus. And, you know, let that sink in. The promise that he made himself <laughs> eternal life, and that and his son, Jesus, because verse 26, right, again, the warning, I have written these things to you concerning those who are trying to deceive you. In other words, that this, I'm, I'm just repeating this to tell you, people are going to try to come in and rob you of this truth. Don't go there. 
Here again, right, a little sideways smack to the false teachers <laughs> without averting his focus on his beloved church. He's still talking to his beloved church. In verse 27, he says for this, as for you, right, those, don't let those others, uh, you know, I've written this so they, they won't deceive you. They're over here, leaving me over there. But as for you, the anointing you received from him remains in you, and you don't need anyone to teach you. Instead, his anointing teaches you about all things and is true and is not a lie just as it has taught you remain in him. Right? This anointing, again, is the Holy Spirit. You, could just, you literally could just insert the, the word, the name, Holy Spirit, right? Having received him from God, he remains in us and he, as the only teacher we need. Now, wait a minute. You might say, well, what am I sitting here for? in front of this guy. <laughs> Why do we come? A good part of our service, right, is teaching and leaning into learning together from the Word of God. So, you know, let's talk about that just for a second, right? What about the gift of teaching? Because it's clear that God gives, right? It says in 1 Corinthians 14, where God appointed these in the church, first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, and so on, as he lists the giftings of the, uh, that are exercised in the church. So God gave teachers to the church. So we have to reconcile this just a little bit. See, we can understand this to mean that together with the uh, word of God in our hands and the Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit of God in our hearts, that we have all we need for sound instruction to discern the truth of God, right? Reasoning together. And I believe that's the, the strength in that, right? Why we have benefited so much from the teaching of our pastor, Pastor Carl Dixon, and other uh, faithful preachers uh, throughout the year. Even John there is teaching his church, right? The first apostles and prophets and teachers and so on. But, the, but here's the key, right? As in reference to the Holy Spirit, it's the only teacher you need, right? As the Holy Spirit enables us to retain both the truth of God and fellowship with God that we've already received, right? And these false teachers have nothing to add. But a true and faithful preacher would have something to offer, yes? <laughs> right? And the truth, not add to, <laughs> but he's just preaching that truth that God has revealed to us. So yes, the Holy Spirit is your teacher, but we strengthen one another together and uh, wrestle uh, that way. So thus far, the Apostle John has taken considerable time and ink to address the problem of false teachers, all right? I'm like a broken record, aren't I? But so's the letter, so there we have it. By both warning and encouraging his beloved church to remain in him. But now we come to a slight turn to a very special place here in the scriptures, right? For the next verses tells us to what ends all this brings us. What is all this? Where does this bring us on our journey? Verse 28, it says this, so now little children remain in him so that when he appears, we may have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming. Oh, wow. John's taking us somewhere here, right? He's taking you into where this ends, right? Being with and seeing Jesus. Here's a fact. Every true believer is destined for eternal life. He made that promise to us. And therefore should be living in full expectation of one day coming face to face with Jesus. That is our for sure hope. Also fact, no believer lives 100% spot on as righteously as we should <laughs> in readiness for that day. I, I wish it were so. 
I wish I was rid of those temptations, right, and the proclivity to sin, being prone to wander. I wish I was, but more and more so each day, right? We talked a little bit about, and probably could have spent more and and maybe will, about sanctification and our growth uh, process there. But I just think about this, right, that no believer lives 100% spot on, you know, as righteously as we should, right? You know, I look at this, and it's a little bit of a, but, but, you know, the dreaded movie theater scenario, how many, you know, have you ever heard this? Do you want to be sitting in that movie, you know, when Jesus comes? <laughs> you know, I mean, right, that can really drive, you know, if, if it's something that the Holy Spirit is convicting us of, absolutely. But what a, you know, that's, that's living in fear of condemnation in certain things. Yes, the Lord wants to lead us in certain ways, but we just need to, I think, have a balance in that. You know, we do want to please Jesus. We do want to be found about his father's business when he comes, no doubt. And we're going to talk more about that. We're not going to leave us there, all right? So, but there's also a supreme fact. It is God's move of love towards us that gives us the greatest confidence before man's coming, right? For God so loved us when we didn't love him, (laughs) As when we were yet sinners, God loved us and he gave his one and only son, right, to redeem us from those sins. It doesn't make any sense. It's not fair. We want to talk about fairness, right? That's not fair, but yet it's what God does. So it's God's move of love towards us that gives us confidence in that day, nothing in our own. And we need to know that this does not come about from our own efforts or, again, in our own strength, right? Beckon back to, again, the Holy Spirit, the initial conviction of sin that even draws me to him is from the Holy Spirit. And then he puts a seal upon us, right? Assuring our salvation, sealing it up for that day. But then he doesn't leave us there. He enables us, he empowers us, he guides us, he teaches us and, and brings, brings us forward uh, to that point. Let's take just a sneak peek toward uh, chapter four. You can flip one page in your Bible or look down a paragraph as, as you need. In verse 16 of chapter four, And we have come to know and to believe the love of God has for us. God is love, and the one who remains in love remains in God, and God remains in him. In this, love is made complete with us. In this, I'm sorry, in this, love is made complete with us so that we may have confidence in the day of judgment because he is, so also we are in this world. As he is, so are we also. What a great promise (laughs) this is, right? We need to live in the revelation and, and the grasping of that. All right, let's go back now to uh, chapter 2, verse 29. It says, If you know that he is righteous, you know this as well. Everyone who does what is right has been born of him. It's kind of that, you know, that circular contrasting truth again, right? Kind of coming back to itself. You know, and again, this fellowship is much more than just external fellowship with God, although that's great in itself. He invites us in to have this fellowship with him. We we can kind of know God. But the fact that we are born into a divine family, an eternal relationship with God as his children. I mean, wasn't it enough that he put away our sin and one day will, you know, let us, you know, be in his presence as whomever? But no, we're born of God as his children, right? We bear the family resemblance. And we recognize it in others as well. In this fellowship, you can recognize it. You have that sort of, uh, right, that, uh, just that camaraderie. It's more than that, just that kinship even. 
you know, we would, we're quite a lot, you know, when I say a lot, not a lot like in numbers, but we're, you know, what a lot of people we are. <laughs> we wouldn't really, I don't know what other reason we would gather together for. And I also look at this as kind of the true fellowship that's found worldwide. You know, when we travel different places and see certain people and you just, you come to a people that couldn't be any more different than you, but they have the love of Jesus in them. And that fellowship that's there, you just, you just kind of pick up like family. There's nothing else like it. And that's what we are called, right? Some children just cannot be denied from their parents. <laughs> that is so-and-so's kid, you know? Oh, I know, you know. And sometimes it's the way they look, right? Sometimes it's uh, how they act, <laughs> right? They bear the family resemblance inside and out, right? Being born of God in Christ Jesus with the indwelling Holy Spirit is a big deal, right? As a divine family affair, John takes the next verses to celebrate this marvelous fact. It's almost like John took a, a, a breath and just said, hey, I'm going to lay out some more, you know, I'm going to, you know, bomb you again. I don't know if that's the right term or not. But verse 1, chapter 3, right? Let's read this. See what great love the Father has given us that we should be called God's children, and we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it didn't know him. Dear friends, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet been revealed. So there's more to do, right? We know that when he appears, we will be like him because we will see him as he is. I don't know, you know, how do I get that to sink in? <laughs> I, think, I think it already is, right? I mean, when you read that and hear that, uh, and, and read it again this week. Let, let that sink in, that we are called God's children. And we are, because that is what we are, <laughs> right? As children of God, better individualized, right? Me or you, as a child of God, I stand in a certain special position and relationship, unique in ways much like our parent-child relationships here on, on earth, right? Sharing the same blood, DNA, uh, even natural uh, and emotional and spiritual traits of our parents, right? That's, we're a product of them there. Now, it's uh, kind of sad, but I think it's just a little bit necessary to explain this, right? Really, we need to equate this with what we know and desire to be good and proper traits in parents is, right? Because some people may, might not have a, a good example when it comes to parents, or, or looking at God as their father, it's tainted because of their view of their heavenly father or their earthly uh, dad or father or non-existent or, or whatever that case might be. We don't gloss over that, but, it, but I think it still holds true because you know <laughs> what a good father should be, right? Be, because of that, because of that void and that hurt of how an earthly parent might have let you down, you already kind of know and we were drawn to something better and that's what it's talking about there, that special parent-child relationship uh, that we're meant uh, to have. And I, I think that's enough on that, but we need to, I don't, wouldn't want to move on uh, past that. But see this, you know, the way it's supposed to be, what's good and proper and desired would be a unique and separate protection and privileges, uh, receiving special treatment. I, I don't mean to call you out, Mrs. McGough, but, uh, you know, uh, remember the years when in your classroom you used to have Burke's Perks? Yeah, you know, I'm not supposed to play favorites, but when my kids were in a certain grade in a certain school, in a Calvary Chapel uh, school here, you know, if, you know, maybe that teacher came to me and, you know, needed a little something, 
you know, and uh, one of my, they happen to have one of my, my kids in their grade, you know, maybe a little favor was shown. I don't know. <laughs> I'm not saying that, right? But, you know, these are certain protections and privileges as being a child, right? Uh, getting extra attention, care, preferential, even favored status, right? So even so here, John is reminding us that we are sharers of the very life of God, into this family. Second Peter 1.4 says this, by these is given us very great and precious promises so that through them you may share in the divine nature, escaping the corruption that is in the world because of evil desire. Wow, we share in the divine nature, right? The world does not and cannot understand this. They said this about Jesus in John chapter one. He was in the world, and the world was created through him, and yet the world did not recognize him. He came to his own people, and his own people did not receive him. But then he follows right up in verse 12 of uh, John chapter 1. But to all who did receive him, he gave them the right to be the children of God, and to those who believe in his name who were born, not of natural descent or of the will of the flesh or of the will of man, but of God. Again, born of God is the way John puts in his letter. See, so since we have now the family resemblance, we have the same traits and characteristics as the Lord Jesus, we cannot expect the world to understand us either. It's just, I mean, just, just accept it. The world is not gonna understand literally where we're coming from or, or why we're there or where we're going. The here and now in this life, right, the process of becoming like Christ is ongoing. We talked about that a little bit, right? That's, that's the sanctification process, right? As we yet behold the promise by faith, right? The process will one day be complete, again, on that day, right, when he appears to us and we will see him as he is. That's the day that that will be fulfilled. But let's move on, verse three. And everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself, that's you and I. We need to purify ourselves. Just as he, that meaning Jesus Christ, is pure, right? Jesus is pure. He doesn't need to be purified. Jesus is pure, but anyone who puts that hope in him <laughs> purifies himself, it says. Again, our real hope of the imminent return of Christ is in itself a sanctifying influence in our life. That kind of helps us deal with that movie theater question, right? If we understand that Jesus is coming back and that's a factor in the way we live our life, that's in itself going to have a sanctifying work in our lives. There will be change. We should lead a different kind of life, right? Being contrasted with what's coming next, lawlessness. In verse 4, it says this, again, this contrast, right? Everyone who commits sin practices lawlessness, and sin is lawlessness, Lawless, that just simply means literally being a law unto themselves, right? In direct insubordination to God. And the expression here commits sin, it pictures continual habitual behavior expressed by the present continuous tense, like it's happening right now, like you're sinning like right now. That's what lawlessness is described as, right? But verse five, it says this, you know that he is revealed so that he might take away sins and there is no sin in him, right? Everyone who remains in him does not sin. Everyone who sins has not seen him or known him, right? Talking about that habitual, continual present tense, right? See, these verses contrast the true believer with the one who has never 
been born again, unsaved, if you would, right? We think back to chapters one and two, right? Contrasting those walking in the light to those walking in and being blinded by the darkness. We, we need to have not point the finger as much as really have pity because so, such were we. <laughs> we were those that way <laughs> at one time in our lives, right? But, and, and they're blind. What else can they do? We need to have compassion uh, uh, you know, for, uh, for them in that state. But for a Christian, right, cannot go on practicing sin because that would be a complete denial of the purpose for which the Lord Jesus came into the world, right? And it would be betrayal of the name that we bear as Christians, right? So the question should naturally arise here, okay, when does sin become habitual? That's, that's something we wrestle with, right? How often, how intense or serious before it would be considered a habitual or even a condemning part of our character? Well, John doesn't answer this, and neither will I. Neither can. I can't. I can't answer that, right? Rather, he puts each of us as believers ourselves to be on guard and leaves the burden of proofs on the Christian himself. And I say this, to some extent, to others around us in loving fellowship. There's a part that we all play in that. We'll talk about some of that uh, next week when we talk about love for one another. But it goes on in verse 7. Little children, let no one deceive you. Again, that warning, right? The one who does what is right is righteous, just as he is righteous. Just kind of stating that fact. Again, the family resemblance, bringing that back into focus. See, we can only practice righteousness through having the nature of him who is righteous, by, by receiving him as our, you know, our Lord and Savior, right? Understanding that Jesus, you know, we, we confessed our sins and he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness, therefore bringing us into the family of God, born as God's children, reborn, right? Born again, that all those phrases, uh, you can think of them all, they're all right, right? But contrasting once again here, this is of having the nature of him who is righteous, but in verse 8, it says, The one who commits sin is of the devil, for the devil has sinned from the beginning. <laughs> wow. I think it's interesting that a man becomes uh, of the devil simply by imitating his behavior. Right? Whereas we become a child of God by divine act of love, which was described earlier in uh, verses 1 through 3 for sure, and, and actually the rest of the letter, right? being brought into the family of God, right? Since we are children born of God, experiencing that rebirth, we should uh, live and act accordingly. That's, that's true, right? Notwithstanding everything else I said about the act of the uh, sanctifying process that we're going through, uh, the need to obey his commands, to know his word, and to remain in him being paramount, those are all true as well. But there's even more reason here, because it says in the second part of verse 8, the Son of God was revealed for this purpose, to destroy the devil's works. Wow. So we have someone else on our side <laughs> again, right? We're not doing this alone. That's, you know, maybe I haven't said that. I don't think, actually, I know I haven't said it enough, but I'm saying it now. Okay, we do not do this on our own, with our own effort, under our own power, under our own strength, not even our own will sometimes. That has to yield. That's part of yielding, right? Being filled with the Holy Spirit. It's got to, something's got to give in order to give room uh, for Christ uh, to work in our life through the Holy Spirit. 
So, but if we believe this, then we have no excuse. The very purpose that Jesus came was to destroy those works, to destroy those holes, those strongholds uh, over our lives. We don't have to stay there. Again, as the world who is walking in darkness and is blinded, they don't know any better. We didn't know any better. So we acted, we acted, we acted rightly, right? <laughs> uh, you know, uh, according to our own will, right? That, that, that point of lawlessness or that stage of lawlessness in our life being a law unto ourselves. But it says this in verse nine, everyone who has been born of God does not sin because his seed remains in him. He is not able to sin because he has been born of God. Again, right, John, once again, is reminding us of our position in this family as ones being born of God. And one final contrast for today, verse 10. This is how God's children and the devil's children become obvious. Okay, here we go. Whoever does not do what is right is not of God, especially the one who does not love his brother or sister. Now, this does end with a warning, which is going to take us into our teaching for next week. But right as we draw now to a close, we can see where we'll be looking you know, next week concerning this love that we're to share with the church gathered together. You know, the love here is not used in the sense of a mere human affection, uh, but it is divine agape love, right? That love that's a sacrificial love, the love that God showed us, right? Again, yet when we were yet sinners, Christ died for us, right? It is loving others as Christ loved us, you know, uh, from uh, also from the words of Jesus, right? Where it talked about love one another, just as I have loved you, that qualifier. <laughs> that, that's, that's the, you know, that's the mark, that's the standard. You are also to love one another. And again, in closing, as we invite the worship team back up uh, here, we're going to have just a time of uh, worship, uh, prayer, and, and response uh, to worship in the posture you feel comfortable in, uh, standing or seated, uh, alone or with someone, you can come up to the altar and pray. Uh, I'll be here as well if you want specific prayer for something. Uh, the elders uh, here in, in attendance uh, can just watch out for that. If uh, more than half a person comes up, you come up too and, uh, and uh, just pray uh, with one another uh, for that there. But uh, again, we need to understand that this cannot be done in one's own personal strength. None of this, none of that what I presented today can be done in our own strength. Whether it's wrestling with, you know, our sanctification and, and how we're to live and remain uh, in Christ and to be uh, a part of that, be, you know, born of, of God, that part's already done, right? The hard part is done for us. But what the things that we have to walk in, but we also have the empowering of the Holy Spirit to help us to do uh, this and all things, including to love others just as Jesus loved us. And actually, I can't wait. Next week, I, I, don't, I, I don't know how it's going to all turn out, but it's all about loving one another. So I do look forward to that. See what Jim Burke needs to learn. Amen.